When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there. Well, it's Deep Focus and I'm back. Your host, Rodrigo Perez, the editor-in-chief of theplaylist.net and my, I suppose at this point, very infrequent uh, podcast, Deep Focus, although I may have done one or two last year. I can't remember. (laughs) Um, But I'm back with True Detective Season 4 and my uh, guest, uh, this for my uh, very uh, belated podcast, is um, Isa Lopez, who is the the showrunner, the writer and director of the new season of True Detective called True Detective Night Country. You probably don't need much introduction about True Detective, but you'll probably remember that it kind of went dark after the third season in 2019. We haven't heard from it since. Since its creator Nick Pizzolatto basically, I mean, he basically parted ways with HBO after a certain point. He had some crazy ideas. They had some other ideas and they didn't want to rush things, but eventually he went and signed a deal with FX and Fox Television and it seemed like him and uh, HBO went in different directions and HBO tried all these different things, explored different filmmakers, but they landed on Isa Lopez, who is a Mexican filmmaker, a writer, producer, and director, and she's known for many things, but perhaps primarily, um, at least to American audiences, uh, 2017's Tigers Are Not Afraid, which really put her on the map. Like, you know, people like Guillermo del Toro, Noah Hawley, and Jason Blum, everybody sort of wanted to kind of like develop projects with her after that. And I think that culminated with her taking meetings with a lot of people. And then, as she explains in this interview, she came with True Detective. I mean, I'll let her tell the story, but it's, uh, it's this interestingly faded story of sort of confluence that like she had been sort of developing something in the back of her head, murder mysteries, a winter western, things about her childhood, all these ideas that she had brewing. And then HBO called and said, hey, you know, we're meeting with filmmakers and we're taking a bunch of ideas and stuff. And we're also, by the way, looking for some new ideas for True Detective. And she said, well, actually... I kind of have something. And she pitched it to them and it was basically the the idea of what she was already writing and that became, you know, True Detective Night Country. Um, we hope you've seen by this point episode one which aired this past Sunday. Apparently two million viewers already and it's, uh, if you've read our review on the playlist, if you haven't, please do so. I kind of went effusive about it. It's incredible. It's right up there with the best of True Detective. It is spellbinding. It is soulful. It is emotional. It is dark. It is character-driven, but it has also got so many elements of horror and supernatural. She has uh, some of the influences that are sometimes 
sometimes obvious, sometimes not, are things like Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, John Carpenter's The Thing, Seven, Silence of the Lambs. It's, in a way, she inadvertently sort of flipped True Detective because she was really influenced by season one, which was set in the sweaty, hot bayou of Louisiana with two men. And this, her audition is is in the freezing cold temperatures of a, a fictional town in Alaska. And it stars two women, two women detective who, in the spirit of True Detective, are just as broken and, and messed up as perhaps what we saw in season one with Matthew McConaughey and um, Woody Harrelson. God, I'm blanking. How can you blank on Woody Harrelson's name? But yeah, and, and so she's come up with this incredible, sprawling murder mystery, horror, a social thriller. Uh, tackles so much. There's so much depth to it. You can enjoy it as a, as a mysterious murder mystery. You can enjoy it as, as something that's like a supernatural horror thriller. You can enjoy the buddy cop elements that have been uh, strewn throughout True Detective. And there's just like all this like stuff about indigenous cultures and it's very uh, respectful of, of some of the things that, that those cultures have to deal with and all the sociopolitical stuff, all that texture, that depth and racism and everything. There's a whole thread of, of missing unsolved mysteries of women who have been killed in, in this Alaskan town. And it stars Jodie Foster and Callie Reese. Callie Reese, you may not know as well, obviously, as Jodie Foster, but she was the star of the um, 2021 American thriller Catch the Fair One, which comes from the world of boxing. But yeah, like she is fantastic. And her next to, you know, Academy Award winning Jodie Foster, the two of them, it's, it's an interesting alchemy of a raw newcomer and old. And, uh, old school veteran and, and they sort of play into that a little bit with their roles. The cast also stars uh, Fiona Shaw who you'll know from like things like Andor, John Hawks, you know that excellent indie actor who has been, uh, you know, he's been in everything but he's he was nominated for an Academy Award for Winner's Bone which he kind of got him his start. Christopher Eccleston is in it, um, Anne Lamb, uh, Finn Bennett bit of a newcomer, Isabel Star LeBlanc another bit of a newcomer and it is, it's just so rich and compelling. It is honestly the best piece of television I've seen in so long. And HBO apparently wanted a filmmaker and boy, did they ever get a filmmaker, like a true writer, director, real package, real deal, who delivers something that's multi-layered and depthful and really worthy of, of True Detective. They really picked well, man. Uh, they, you know, it took them five years to get a new True Detective, but man, uh, my prediction is, I, I, you know, obviously after Tigers are not afraid. A lot of people came running some of the aforementioned Guillermo del Toro and stuff, but like, man, everybody's going to become knocking after this. Like, Isa Lopez is a name that you, as essentially, as far as I'm concerned, and I, and I think will bear out in the future, she's been launched in the stratosphere. Like, this is a writer, director, a, a, this is like auteur television at its best. And so, just so you know the plot of it, if you do not know, True Detective Night Country is set in the fictional town of Ennis, Alaska, and it follows the investigation behind the disappearance of eight men from a research station. They sort of suddenly disappear and nobody knows what happened to them. They were there, they've been there for years, and all of a sudden they disappear and the backdrop of this is two uh, detectives Jodie Foster and Callie Reese who have baggage and history between them and there's a lot of things that have that happened in this town one of them again being those unsolved murders uh, of women you know in many ways the show is about haunting Callie Reese's Evangeline Navarro detective is sort of haunted by the deaths of these women Liz Danvers Jodie Foster's character is haunted by her past and there's literal and metaphorical and all kinds of haunting 
happening and, and spooky spectral things going on. I, I sort of, I really just can't wait for people to see the whole thing. I've seen all six episodes and, I, and no spoilers, but I think it's fair to say at this point, it's already out there that there are a few Easter eggs to True Detective season one. It's a unique own original thing, but it does slyly and subtly nod back to the first season of True Detective. Lopez is clearly a fan. She clearly did her homework and yeah, it is uh, man, I, I don't know. I, I Maybe I should just shut up. I'm really effusive about it, but it's it's a it's a real deal, real package and the show is the real package. There's just so much going on. I think my review on the site was like 1600 words or something crazy because I just couldn't fit it all in and I wanted to. I was so desperate to communicate everything about this show that's so good. So, you know, it's already premiered last Sunday, January 14th, 24. You'll be hearing this a few days later. It's six episodes long. It's a nice tight six. It doesn't go for like eight or nine with flabbiness. It's really meat on the bone and it is, it's just really fantastic. It shows uh, Jodie Foster all over again as a hard-nosed detective who's hard to like. You know, she really goes in as something that's like, she's not trying to pretty herself up and she's not trying to dress up her character. Her character is unlikable, but sort of a testament to everything that we still like her because she's so capable. She's so incredible. And then Callie Reese's character is another kind of unlikable in a way, but like tender, but but hard on the outside and great, great characters, great show. I, I want you to, to hear all of my uh, interview with Issa Lopez. I'll let you, I guess, soak it in, but I will just say that she has got some great things to say about, for fans of season one, the ideas of Carcosa, the Yellow King, this, you know, the mysterious uh, crooked spiral that people seem to be fascinated by in season one. Some of those things that she plays with and hints at. There's so much about the dead, the spectral world, and things that she kind of keeps perfectly enigmatic. Like, there's all these things that are spectral and otherworldly, but we don't quite understand what they are. Is this a flashback? Is this a, a dream? Did the person really see it? Is it a nightmare? It's all, it kind of bleeds into this, ties right back to season one when Matthew McConaughey ha- has that spectral vision, the Carcosa in, in I think that's in episodes five or six, and we don't know whether he's is he hallucinating or has, has this really happened and and we kind of we know we don't get the answer there and we don't necessarily get the answers here but it's in the best way possible you know she talks a lot about uh her mexican culture and and mexico's fascination with the dead which carries over into the series yeah i guess i'll let her explain the rest but man she is fantastic she's the real deal and i hope that when you hear this interview with her that comes across and that translates because she knows her shit she's great she's a fantastic filmmaker and she's got a layered vocabulary of influences and insights. It was a real joy for me to talk to her, so I'm, I'm really glad that happened. I will shut up and not say much more than that, but I will remind that Deep Focus is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. We have many, many other podcasts on there, like our Bingeworthy TV podcast, which I suppose this could fall under, but um, we also have the Playlist Podcast, the Discourse Podcast, uh, many more. So, um, yes, uh, mine's Deep Focus, and, and uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hope you uh, watch True Detective and please tune in because it is really, really fucking good stuff. I'm sorry for the F-bombs and everything. Let's talk soon and hopefully you'll get more from me this year. Yeah, True Detective Night Country, man. It is outstanding. All right. Hi, Isa. How you doing? I'm good, Rodrigo. You? Good, good. Tell me about your your series, how it came together. I really loved it. I just finished the whole thing last night and wow, it is (laughs) spectacular. Um, Really, it's so dense. It's so complex. 
How, how did it how did it come together? Because I remember when it was first announced, it was announced as a project that Barry Jenkins was executive producing. So I was just wondering how 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 it came together. Like, did you take it to him and he took it to HBO? Like, what what, what was how did no, it? No, I um you know we weren't at the height of the pandemic, and I was delivering a scripts left and right for on you know for projects that I was developing, but. Uh, the mind gets restless, and uh, and I started to question how do you go about writing a a, a murder mystery, a whodunit? Because I love them all my mm -hmm. life, I have, and I would. It's one of those things like theater that is a passion for me, but it it feels so fucking intimidating, because um, it's a it's a whole universe, right? And and how do you you know, you can you can write many stories because because you can move freely around them. But but murder mysteries are, are a whole. It's you know it's it's in, in a way um, a a trick that and and pulling it is you, it has to be impeccable. Mm. And uh, yeah. uh, and I'm not a magician, so uh, so it was very curious. You know, nobody asked, and then there I was like contemplating how would I approach, and um, and I started to look into you know, my childhood and, and geek obsessions with unsolved mysteries, which I think we all love when we were children from Atlantida to to um the Dietlov Pass or the Marie Celeste. And I'm and I started to pick up a couple of them that felt that I could play with in in contemporary in a contemporary setting. And then um I was curious about the ice. Um, I I had I was writing writing a, a western and it started and finished on the ice, and that was a feeling of you know duels on the ice that that I felt curious about. So I um, I started to just let that brew in the background, mm -hmm. and then I got a call from HBO, and they had turns out I had no idea. Turns out that they had been for ages uh, looking for a way to revive True Detective. And they had talked to a lot of filmmakers. They wanted a filmmaker um, smartly, and uh, and uh, and I was like, "Well, you know, I have an idea." And uh, and when I pitched it, they loved it, and we started working. Um, the story with Barry Jenkins is HBO um, had to start a relationship with them with mm -hmm. Bastel. and they suggested them as um, as partners um, as we we advanced this um so uh it, it, it was first idea than hbo and true detective then barry jenkins um and so it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't conceived as a true detective story then huh sorry it wasn't conceived as true detective like you didn't you didn't no, pitch the no point, it right? was there was there was a there was an initial idea and um and it was i just thought you know i just i really don't think it's funny how the 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 guest out of it all it's the machine is working together i think mm. you know it's i think that in all of the years that i've worked i have never been curious about writing a, a, a murder mystery and then i am mm. and and a few weeks later i get the call about it um and i'm not being hippie in the sense of oh it was a meant to be in the universe no 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 i think that there's a subconscious energy working in the in the environment and there was a curiosity about it mm. um that hbo felt you know i um they murder mysteries have been really working for them lately and they had one one property that um that they hadn't been able to revive and at the same time i was i was perhaps 
receiving all this really successful murder mysteries around me. So it was just a confluence of interests. Wow. Um, and so then did you have to like tailor it to True Detective? Because like there's so many elements, like I feel like it's <clears throat> in some ways very True Detective and in some ways not like you're very much doing your own thing, but there's, you know, the, the two partners who are like in conflict, um, the supernatural elements, there's certainly things that, that sort of thread them together, but uh, there's, it's also feels very unique. Thank you. I mean, that was exactly the intention that it felt like true detective, but mm -hmm. it absolutely felt like its own animal. And, uh, and it was no, I didn't, it didn't need a lot of tailoring, you know, um, I was not a hundred percent sure that it was going to be one or two characters, but uh, but it was in the mix when they called. And then I I turn around and I was like, oh wow, True Detective, right? I loved it, like everyone else. Mm -hmm. I I think that first season, like everyone else, I missed the feeling that yeah. it brought to us. You know, it, I I think that what made it unforgettable because it really stayed with people mm -hmm. was a feeling. You know, there was this uncanny eeriness about the idea of um, of secret things happening in the shadows of an America we don't look at, you know, yeah. and uh, and of characters that are questioning the nature of the workings of the universe as they face um, a crime that is connected to this darkness, to this secret darkness. And that was like, oh, it could work so well. And it mm -hmm. was the environment where it happened. It was it could have happened nowhere but in this swampy um, bayou in Louisiana. And mm -hmm. I had with the idea of the ice. If I made it into an Americana, there's Alaska, and um, and a, and a sense of Alaska that I don't think we have seen in media. You know that northwestern, but it's not. But it's also about the daily life and it's about going to grab a beer in this environment and dropping a letter and 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 showing up at a, at a, a crab meat processing plant and uh, and that side of Alaska that I don't feel I have seen. I read ages ago a, a genius book by Michael Chabon, um, Chabon called um the what was it that the Alaskan Detectives Union I, I'm forgetting the title and I'm doing yeah, that yeah, yeah. To me. I think I know which one you're but it about. was genius and it was and it felt like daily life in Alaska from a very weird perspective and I loved it and uh and all these influences felt like the natural thing so I loved the supernatural and the in in that first season the the yellow king and carcosa mm -hmm. and i missed that in the second and third seasons so yeah. when they asked what would you do the first thing i said is i would bring back the supernatural and the feeling of dark gods operating behind the curtain um and people that know that they're there you know and uh and i would bring absolutely the 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 two characters uh, working against and with each other um, that was a little bit more dissolved in the in the subsequent seasons, yeah. and uh, it's all about the environment and this place. And uh, and I love those long scenes, talking about the nature of life and the universe in the car. But my characters are no philosophers, and yeah. and I made a point that they're no philosophers, but they they have a philosophy. It's yeah. different, you know, and they talk about it in in those long drives. And I did consider at a certain point using the format of the two, even three times, um, 
and I had a crime in the past and a crime in the present, you know? Yeah. But then I realized that it was not going to help my my storytelling, that it was more uh, for me of a trick um, than a true device to develop, to delivering the story. Because for me, because my story is about secrets, uh, it, it was a lot more useful to not have seen what happened in the past. Right. And then discover it in the present. So, uh, so I I left that behind. I didn't use it, and uh, and uh, and I did. You know, there's one wink to the format that I'm not going to talk about right now in the in the in the last episode. Right. And uh, and yeah. that's what I took. You know, brilliant casting, brilliant casting of those two characters, which is central. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's amazing. Like you know, Jodie Foster. It, it has so many. Um, it it feels like it's giving so many illusions off to things like the thing and silence of the lambs and, and, uh, and uh, this wonderful, what I liked about the, the supernatural element is it's so imprecise in a good way. Like it's like a, a little bit horror, a little bit supernatural, but you can't exactly say what it is. It's something, it's a feeling it's, it's, and that creates the, 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 the fact that you cannot, pinpoint exactly oh, maybe it's the dead that's an element of it but we we can't say for certain and the mysteriousness of that is what makes it even more spooky i find and more sinister i agree a hundred percent i think that one of the things that connected so powerfully with that first season is that it doesn't give us all the answers yeah we don't know really what's happening there we never see it and um and um uh, we don't know if it was a supernatural, if there's a carcosa and we got a glimpse into it or mm-hmm. Rose Cold fried his brain and he's just seeing these things, right? right. So in, in, in mine, it's the same. I don't. I will not give you all the answers and I will. it's hard to pin it in a genre. And uh, and I think that the, the human mind, uh, when faced with a puzzle, because a hudonet is a puzzle and... Um, and and the the impossibility of putting it together in a single way yeah. sticks with you and makes you stay in it longer, you know, the puzzle that continues in a way. Right. It's almost like a puzzle with pieces that are missing that will never be never be found. So you can only like a yeah. little bit. I mean you can you can draw them yourself. I encourage you <laughs> to do that, yeah. you know. Some of the yeah. interviews I've had is, is a lot of, but what happened really? And I go like, I'm not going to give you that one. That is for right. you to complete. Right. Well, there's definitely some dangling things there that I don't fully understand or fully, you know, I think I, it's the rare show that I think I want to watch in, in the entirety all over again. Um, but I did want to ask about the the swirl because I thought the swirl and I didn't get a chance to rewatch the first season of True Detective, but I, from what I recall, the swirl was a signal about pedophilia, right? Yeah, well, that it's funny, you know, this fixation with pedophilia that we're feeling <laughs> that is all over the internet and the world. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't come from nowhere. You know, the world is a very, very bad place for children. Yes. But um, but it's funny. I mean, yes, there is um there is this cult in the in the first season mm-hmm. uh that is not children, you know, like in the internet, someone decided that the sign and I, perhaps it was it was labeled that in the second season i don't know uh in the third season i think that's when it came up they mentioned it you think it, that was what they call it in the in the third season but honestly i just referred to for the first season the symbol who is which is marked on the back of the of the bodies of the women that were ritually murdered mm-hmm. um has nothing to do with pedophilia has right. to do with 
with dark rituals. Right. Okay. You know? And uh, and um, and the cult of Carcosa and the Yellow King. The symbol is really the symbol of Carcosa. And Carcosa is the neither regions, the other world that you can access through these rituals, through these themed spaces in the veil. Mm -hmm. So that's what I took, the idea of that there is places in the world where the barrier between these two worlds is thin. Mm -hmm. And you have to be careful because that those are the places where you can glimpse into things that are gone and other times and things that are eternal and 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 trapped in a circle of repetition mm -hmm. and uh and that's a symbol of in in the first season is carcosa for me is the symbol of the the beyond you know where it becomes those risks so in my series is a warning right of of the nearness of that world and right. i mean we're not going to go into spoilers but in episode six is very right. clear that it yeah, has yeah. been for way longer than us for human beings yeah um tell me about like working with uh and, and casting that your cast you know usually one of the things about true detective is it's it's like two stars and and you've got a star who's who's like worked in these films before and then you've got this this newcomer and and it's a different and she's amazing but yeah tell me about that sort of dichotomy because this is slightly different too right yeah and i think that there's no rules in in the sense that the first season was two stars no doubt and and by the way my, my biggest reference are always was that first season but in the second season is three detectives and honestly one fourth character that is as important as the detective so it's really yeah. it's really a multitasker that one and then um, in the third season is, yes, it's two detectives, but yeah. it's mostly one by yeah. far. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, did, I still wanted a duel of two that we hadn't seen since the first season. Mm -hmm. And in my original um, idea, it was, the, it was um, one white detective and one Latina. And the more I understood about life in these um, communities in the northwest of Alaska, my, my fictional town is inspiring three towns in northwest Alaska. Mm. Um, and and the, the makeup of these communities and how seven at least 70% of the population is uh, indigenous. Right. Um, I understood that it was an absolute dishonesty to bring two characters that, and one of them is not... A representation of these communities that I was trying to portray, and that um, the issues that they face, my characters have to do with the identity of these communities. So putting a, a white woman and a Latina in there made it completely intervention instead of stemming from from the town. So yeah. I made the decision of um, keeping. You know, uh, Navarro has a, a part of her that is a Latina. But the other part is indigenous. And um, and I went to, to HBO and I sat down and I said, guys, I think that we need to contemplate the idea of bringing one big, big star. And we brought the biggest star of them all. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then we can do a thing that I'm passionate about, which is bringing new faces to the light and, mm -hmm. and finding the next star. And HBO was like, that sounds amazing, but who are you thinking? that can fill the shoes of that. And I was like, meet Kaylee Reese. 
And uh, and just by seeing her, Kaylee at the time had a nomination for the Spirit Awards right. as Best Actress and had won a Tribeca because she is extraordinary. Just by looking at her, they yeah. saw Navarro. You know, the, the the same the moment that I that my casting director, I was really worried because we needed someone that could stand up to Jodie Foster. And uh, and my casting director said, there is this woman, she is very, very up and coming. And, and she sent me a photo. We were on a Zoom and I saw it in the shared screen. And I was like, oh my God, that is her. And it was her. Um, I wanted to ask, and I don't want it to be too, um, uh, like uh, a cliche or a stereotype or something, but, you know, Mexican culture, um, it has a, 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 is it fair to say that like, um, you know, Mexican culture has a lot of ideas of, of, or themes about, you know, the dead. And that is like, you know, there's so much of that here, these people calling the dead, calling you and wanting you and maybe in some ways taking you and like, but not in a necessarily a sinister way. Like they, it's like, it's almost like they miss you so much, yeah. but it's, yeah. but it's, yeah, and so was That's, that... I, that is absolutely Mexican. I did have a number of conversations with a bunch of people on the project, and um, and uh, you know when Jolie read the read the first script, she was like, "Clearly, that is a big deal for you." And I was like, "Well, number one, it is because of who I am, and because I lost people very dear to me when I was very young, and mm-hmm. it became, uh, you know." the loss of people and the subsor- the idea that maybe they're not gone became very central to who I am. But other than that, I'm Mexican. And uh, and if you're going to pick one salient feature of Mexican culture for the world is our relationship with death and the way we dance with her and we invite the departed to eat with us and to drink with us. And, uh, and that's who we are. So even though I'm very proud of how the series feels American and, and mm-hmm. portrays a piece of uh, true Americana, mm-hmm. um, it is in its DNA Mexican. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, is there any other um, uh, like influences that like the thing is something or the shining is something? There's always, so many things like that. And then maybe it's just you can't help but have a winter setting and then it's even if you weren't intentionally doing it it's like it's hard not to right no 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 i i absolutely embraced it like what better movie and what better thriller of who is it who is it around me doing this is than the thing and we have the scientists and the arctic research station it's not by chance so much so that in episode one there is a shot of of jodie foster it almost in her introductory scene, very close to it, where the thing is right behind her, yeah. in in a shelf. Um, it's an absolute reference. And uh, and then there's um, there's um, it's Salal Station. I I conceived it as a, a feeling a little bit like the Nostromo, and feeling a little bit like the Overlook, definitely. And the way that the camera moves through it, it's very much at moments. Um, um, a reference to Kubrick and there's shots in it that are completely taken from the thing. Uh, but there is influence uh, from definitely Silence of the Lambs and Seven and very much for of True Detective, obviously. I mean, it's, it's, it's the child of that series. Um, but yeah, you, when you have six episodes to play with, it's 
it's absolutely a joy land for all your geek obsessions and everything you can throw in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you, uh, I, I mean, there's one thing about writing it, but then I, I read something like you spent 120 days in Iceland or something on that shoot. That must've been insane. That's like, it was, you know, it sounds, it sounds impossible for a Mexican filmmaker and for any, you know, for any filmmaker, honestly, 49 of those days were nights and we shot them back to back. Um, uh, it was amazing. It was an absolute joy. Um, we, first of all, I, I arrived in Iceland at the beginning of summer for pre-production and we didn't have nights. And that is also an experience and it's beautiful. And then, and then we started to go into night country as, as production approached. And, um, and it's, you know, the, the Icelanders and the Alaskans, both that I talked to about the long night, they were like, you're, you're missing the point. It's not horrid. It's the time of going inside and telling stories. And they were very right. We felt like that. And, and we inhabited it. And it was such a cozy, loving feeling, except when we were shooting at minus 23 Celsius, you know, on, on a frozen lake, then it didn't feel as cozy. <laughs> but then we would, you know, get into our masses of clothes into the cars, which we had, thank God, heated seats and get to the homes in Iceland where, because they have um, uh, thermal, ener um, uh, thermal energy, mm. the floor of the homes is warm. Wow. And you would drop everything you were wearing, including your shoes, and be warm inside. Wow. It was beautiful. It was such a good experience. And I loved every second of it. And I don't want to see ice ever again in my life. I was telling the, <laughs> I was telling the HBO people, they were like, but you miss the ice. And I was like, bitch, I don't want to eat ice cream ever again. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I said to another friend who, who was a filmmaker, I was like, she picked the hardest thing she could possibly do, which is nights and winter. And horrible conditions, and then did it for like hundred. I mean, you obviously didn't do one hundred twenty days of just night, but my God, and we had weekends, and uh, and weekends. This is the beautiful thing is we were in Reykjavik most of the time. Then we were north, but Iceland is a country where everybody's a musician, and mm -hmm. everybody's talented, and everybody's in a band, and the people that are not in a band publish the book. Ten percent of the population has published the book, yeah. so you were either. Uh, and the rest are artists. So you were either in an exhibit or in a concert or, you know, getting together with them cooking and uh, everybody speaks English, which is not so great for Icelandic culture, but but, but is the thing nobody can learn Icelandic. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. So you they just, they just adopted us as part of their, you know, it's a very small country, 300,000, 330,000 people. Yeah. So I think that the crew was like half of the population at a certain point. And it felt like family. And I, I do miss Iceland. And um, so, and, and the passion for the project, that is the truth that brought us together. We all were in love of the story that we were telling and we were excited to get back to set. And it was a joy. We miss each other and we're so excited that we're, a bunch of us are going to get together on the premiere. We can't wait. That's great. Well, thank you so much. I, it's really brilliant. I we didn't even get into how layered it is culturally, indigenously, everything that's going on. It's it's so much. The depth, the writing of this is really, really superb. So thank you. Uh, I'm very happy that you feel like that because, you know, the the truth is, obviously, you are like me, 
you know, I say this as a compliment, a geek. Mm. I can see the 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 watch from the clock from from Loki from here, and uh, um, and it's you know, they can be we can be the toughest audience. Mm. So um, the fact that that people like us um, can see it and enjoy it means a lot. Yes, it's wonderful. Terrific show. Seriously, I, you, you can't wait till you when the reviews come in. I think they're going to be phenomenal. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> Take Hopefully. care. Thank you so okay, much. Thank you. Well, wonderful piece of work. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you. All right, that's it. I will shut up and not say too much more. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I found her really remarkable. I think it's a remarkable piece of work. I think you're going to really enjoy it. I can't wait till you see the entire thing. Genuinely, truly, uh, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Please share, uh, rate, subscribe, all that stuff. Seriously, we really appreciate that stuff when you do it. Um, and tell your friend and all that. Um, it, it All of it really, really helps and we truly appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Deep Focus. I hope to uh, speak to you soon. Bye.